Hey there. Before we start this episode of Jackson Film Club, the podcast, we wanted to let you know that if you like what we do and you want to support us, you can make a one-time donation using Venmo at JXN Film Club, or you have the option to make uh, recurring donations by visiting our anchor profile at anchor.fm slash JXN Film Club. Thank you for your support. My mom would let me see the orchestra horror movie. She said there's too much sax and violins. <laughs> Man, awesome. Welcome, Welcome to, to Jackson epi- Phone. <laughs> oh Welcome to this episode of Jackson Phone called the podcast. I'm Sam Grafe. I'm joined by my one of probably one of my uh one of my buddies for sure, <laughs> Michael Lamb. <laughs> Just a real rock and star here. <laughs> yeah. We're joined by two great guests. Um we got our first one. Marin Condra, say hey, Marin. Hey. And we're joined by recurring guest Micah Smith. Micah Smith. Hey. Now we didn't just randomly pick two goons off the street um, to be in this episode. Well, I mean, not at first glance, <laughs> but both of these people are musicians in two different facets, but musicians nonetheless. So we're very interested to hear their contributions to this conversation, which is great film scores. Yes. So, uh, to get started, before we dive into our favorite film scores or the best film scores, uh, since we have already met Micah, um, I wanted to kind of help everybody get to know Marin. So, Marin, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, who you are, where you're from, what you're doing. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I grew up in a very musical household, not in the sense that we all know how to play instruments, but in the sense that we were always listening to music and it was just the weirdest assortment possible. So, you know, my parents would be like jamming out to 80s and then my dad would be like, here's this really great symphony that you should listen to. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, that's really cool. I want to be in an orchestra for the rest of my life. (laughs) Excellent. It's weird that you didn't choose to be in an 80s hair band. (laughs) Yeah. When did you choose to to pursue the orchestra? Um, I did an all-state orchestra festival two years in a row in high school. And what instrument do you play? I play violin. <laughs> Sorry, I probably should have led with that, but it was just an entirely different experience being surrounded by so many musicians for the first time. And it was just the greatest feeling ever. Like you don't even really have to know the person sitting next to you that well, but you're all coming together to create something fantastic for other people to enjoy. Yeah. Love that. Uh, well, Martin, what, what are some of your hobbies? Um, <laughs> well, how did you, how did you even get to come on this podcast? Like, oh boy. what do you know here? And how do you know that? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> she doesn't um, even go here. <laughs> I am here because I'm friends with Sam and we met at college. Oh, we go to school together. Yeah. That's right. I remember <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, are you, what are you even doing at Bellhaven? Like, what are you studying? <laughs> I'm studying music performance with wow. an emphasis in strings and international studies, but awesome. I haven't started that part yet. Nice. All right. Last question before we get into our real topic. Do you have a favorite movie? No, I have several. Go ahead. <laughs> rattle them off. Yeah. Give us a little taste. 
My favorite movie, which I'll be discussing in terms of its music shortly, is Jane Eyre, mm. 2011 adaptation directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga. I really hope that's how you say his last name. Pretty sure it is. Yeah. Because I've already said it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's your number one. Yeah, I've given it a lot of thought because one of my hobbies is watching TV and watching movies. So I've seen a lot, but that's the first movie I ever saw where I really thought of film as an art form, mm. not just as a form of entertainment. Mm. That's good. Well, All I guess right. we can start with that. If, if that's one of your favorite scores, then what, what do you like about the score? Why does that one stick out to you as like this one slaps? Well, it kind of works hand in hand with my other favorite score, which is from Pride and Prejudice 2005. Mm. Um, both scores were composed by the same composer, Dario Marianelli. And they're very different stories. Like people think of Jane Austen, you kind of tend to think of like manners and like high society. And that's true to an extent because like it, it handles heavy subjects, but almost all of it occurs off screen. You almost learn about every like major plot point through exposition. But Jane Eyre is entirely different. It handles darker themes and you actually get to witness it happen. And I think it's a darker story. It focuses a lot more on emotion and that is really reflected in the music that Daria Marinelli composed. It's a lot more raw, I think, than the score for Pride and Prejudice, but they're both equally worth listening to. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. I haven't I haven't seen Jane Eyre. You tried to get me to watch it before this episode, <laughs> but I didn't. But Pride and Prejudice is, even growing up, like not wanting to watch that movie because it was a girl movie. <laughs> now like I, I want to rewatch it again because the music is just so good. The piano the performance is, is incredible. I, There's actually, uh, there, there were two Joe Wright movies that I wrote down and one was Pride and Prejudice yeah. and it was Atonement because this, the soundtrack for both of those movies is just incredible. Even though yeah. I think that Atonement is not a good movie. I love Atonement, but that's for another time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the same composer too, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, he did the, the uh, for score for Atonement? For Atonement. Darian Marinelli has worked with Joe Wright for Anna Karenina, Pride and Prejudice, and Atonement. Mm. Crazy. Michael, what are some some film scores that jump out at you? Okay, let's let's talk. Um, so I come from a very different background. Like I I write popular music in comparison to classical music. Uh, so I mean I I kind of get into different stuff. One that comes to mind. I don't know if everybody's seen this film, but uh, there's a movie called The Guest um, oh. that I really love, and it's it's kind of playing on like the '80s stuff. It, it, this was a little bit before. This is like 2014, just a little bit before everybody was like yeah. every movie had to do a synth film score. Before, like, Stranger Things. And oh stuff. yeah, and and um, but the thing that was so great about this one, it's it does kind of the '80s film score that's kind of playing on like the John Carpenter style. Mm -hmm. um, but there's there's a lot more of a sweeping nature to it. It really does like play into the emotion of characters, and when things get tense, it isn't just like a oh, I added one more note and there's it is. Like it's it's actually a full piece of music and it, it really kind of takes you places and it really helps add to a character that is intentionally pretty quiet and reserved the entire time because, you know, not giving anything away, but um, Dan Stevens' characters is, you know, very, very reserved the whole movie. And so it sort of starts, you know, teetering on the edge of, of uncomfortable when it's just him by himself. And, and you're supposed to feel that as the audience before any of the characters actually see any reason to not trust this guy. And, and the, the film scores what, you know, really actually 
you know, tilts the hand on that on purpose, and it's it's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, a really entertaining movie because <clears throat> the, the film score, I think you're right, is, is a character, and it kind of mm-hmm. telegraphs, like, there's something else here. Yeah. Uh, so, moving on to another movie. Uh, I, I was wanted to bring up Jurassic Park. Mm. Uh, so, before we started the podcast... Uh, we we kind of talked a little bit about John Williams because it was his birthday recently. Oh, uh, happy as, birthday, as of John! The, the recording <laughs> turned ninety this year. I know uh, you're listening, John. We just want to tell you. <laughs> yeah, we know you're listening. A spry ninety years old. Yeah, uh, but uh, of all of the the amazing movies that he's been a part of, I think Jurassic Park is is my my favorite score of his. Really, mm-hmm. that theme is iconic. He has a oh, yeah. he does a great job of making iconic themes. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> regardless of whether you <laughs> like him or not, which we may discuss in a second. Oh my goodness. It's a different subject. <laughs> oh boy. I really hope he's not <gasps> listening. This is oh, a hit piece they brought is. you on just so you can talk bad about him. We're not <laughs> trying to bring any attention to the fact that Maren said that she doesn't like John Williams. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is never going to stop haunting me. <laughs> oh, but okay. but say why, because you had a very good reason. I, I it made a lot of sense to me. John Williams is a great composer. Like Sam said, he composes great themes. They're memorable. You know them the instant you hear them. But as for the rest of his music, I just think it all kind of sounds the same. Mm. And I'm not saying as a composer, you can't maintain a certain style of composition. Some of my favorite film composers do just that. But you could tell me like, oh, this is from one of his other movies and you can be lying to my face and I wouldn't know it because it, I just know it's John Williams and it sounds exactly the same. Hmm. I just want to throw out a crazy stat that I just looked up. Uh, I Googled how many Oscars has John Williams been nominated for <laughs> oh, and it didn't give me a number. So I just had to count the list that it has, which sometimes he's nominated multiple times in the same year. He has been nominated for 51 Oscars. <laughs> Wow, you counted that just now? Yeah, I'm fast really counter. fast at counting. Yeah, pretty much every Star Wars movie. Like, so like he he is really great at like capturing the mood of a movie. Like ET, one of the first things you think of is like that score. That's true. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars. I I do think you were bringing up how he's great with motifs and like assigning themes to a character that stay in your head. And as soon as you hear the theme, you're like, okay, I know what character I'm following. Um, I think he's really great about that. Like even with the newer Star Wars movies, I've been able to be like, okay, this is Kylo's theme. This is Ray's theme. But kind of what you were saying, like there are times you could play a, a, a theme or a piece from um, any Star Wars movie. And especially from like the newer ones, I wouldn't be able to place it to a scene mm. where I could with some other pieces of film music. So there is a lot of like, it sounds terrible calling it filler, but like he just has, he is very good at filling out a soundscape with Star Wars music. Sure. But like, you can't necessarily be like, I can't necessarily like hum that music. I don't know, but like the themes are very pronounced and amazing. Like Mm. he's good, but is he 51 Oscars good? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do agree with you though, Michael. I think the Jurassic Park theme is like, I almost don't think that movie works without him. Um, I think of the scene where you see the herd for the first time mm-hmm. and and like truly like the the fact that there's interesting music happening before you even see that so that you feel something's about to happen without really totally acknowledging like oh I'm about to see dinosaurs for the first time mm-hmm. like that 
he does a great job in that. At the same time, per Sam's point, there's definitely like moments of that movie. I'm like, I have no idea what, I don't know what that sounds like. Yeah. You can, uh, he, he, he's really great at like capturing awe and mm-hmm. wonder and stuff in his music. It's very like adventurous music. Um, I can't think of many scores of his that I've heard where I've actually been like, okay, this is John Williams where it's maybe more serious and dark. Yeah. Cause I'm just used to him being in those Spielberg or yeah. George Lucas movies. Yeah. He did E.T., Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jaws. He pretty much every, spe- I think, he, he Harold just, and the Potters. Yeah, oh, yeah Harold and the Potters. Um, he just got hired. Hired. It just got announced <laughs> that he's doing Steven Spielberg's movie that's coming out later this year, and I think it's their 29th collaboration. So interesting. Like, oh my goodness, it's pretty crazy. Um, I don't think you can talk about film scores without bringing up John Williams. Did he do that's Close true. Encounters of a Third Kind? Yeah, I think that's he pretty true. much every, that, pretty much every. Kind of serious. Movie. Yeah, yeah. It's more drama. I didn't really like Close Encounters that much. I don't remember it. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I'm going to transition from Titan to Titan <laughs> and go to Howard Shore. Nice. With I, I'm just going to get it out of the way. I don't want to linger on it too much because I can talk about it forever. But uh, what, Lord, what movie did he do? Uh, he did this like, it was like a little indie thing, uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, there were three movies. It was really good. Um, uh, actually, I haven't heard of it. So those, that score is for all three of those movies is my favorite. I think what stands out about like the force, like we talked about earlier, the force theme is like one of, I think one of the greatest pieces of music ever written. Duel of the Fates is amazing. Battle of Heroes is amazing. All these are Star Wars things that are like very prominent pieces of music. But again, there's a lot of that filler music. Lord of the Rings, you can play pretty much any song and I can tell you what scene, like what line is about to happen. Friend of the show, Mark Goins and I played a game one time where we would play a song from anywhere in the trilogy and have to figure out what scene it was from. Um, so, like, speaking of motifs, incredible with motifs, mm. um, building on a theme across movies, not just, like, a scene. The fact that everything has a theme, not just, like, characters, but the fact that the Battle of Helm's Deep has its own theme, different cultures have their own themes. Everything is so well fleshed out like the music of Lord of the Rings is its own thing. Like you could take or leave the visual aspect of the movies. This, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to oh cut gosh. that out. Okay, hang on. <laughs> Please it's don't. staying in. Oh, good gravy. The, uh, the sound of Middle Earth, he just captured perfectly and it's, it's, it's its own thing. Yeah. It's so good. To me, there's, there's times where like when a movie of a particular genre does something so well that everybody else goes, oh, that's what that genre sounds like now. Mm -hmm. After the Lord of the Rings, it was literally like, okay, things have to look this way, number one, but things have to sound like Lord of the Rings to be in fantasy. That's, I mean, you're seeing it right now with like the Wheel of Time stuff or Amazon there. It feels like they were literally like, what what did what they do for a score? And we're going to do that. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it doesn't do it as successfully, but I mean, yeah. it's it. you feel like somebody's been listening to a whole lot of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I recently watched a very strange movie which is Doctor Strange movie. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, no, Doctor Strange was great. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange watched, Love movie. <laughs> uh, this was my first David Cronenberg film, but it was mm. scored by Howard Shore. It was Videodrome. Mm. And it was very strange. <laughs> I hear strange things about that David Cronenberg film. I haven't ventured a, 
a watch into his filmography. Yet. I heard he's a very upstanding guy yeah. who doesn't have anything weird visually in his movies. I showed you his short Dude, I film. Hate, yeah, that's that so <laughs> pretentious. 60 seconds. It, tur- it was also an NFT. No, was it really? No. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> but hey, you own it now. Good job. Oh, I don't own it. No. Oh. <laughs> Somebody else owns it, but I watched it. Whoop. Um, NFTs failed. So uh, I'm going to move us on to another movie that is one of my favorite movies. And the score is maybe not the thing that people know this movie for. Uh, Spirited Away. Mm. Uh, so most people, I think, go to Studio Ghibli films for like the great characters, the interesting stories, and the really great animation. But for me, the, the way that the music worked with this story was just, it, it hit all the right notes. It gives you uh, not necessarily like an emotional cue, mm. but it definitely tells you like what's going on in the character's heads, um, or the, the main character's head, because it's this little girl that you're following the whole time. And that was just one that, that uh, I wrote down because I figured that none of y'all probably had it. Yeah, that's a great choice though. I still need to watch Spirit Away. Let's watch that. Okay. Honestly, I went forever now. I watched it this year for the first time. It's one of those I'd always like seen pieces of and I was like, yeah, I get it. I mean, I know what it is. And then no, when you watch it, but I, I totally agree because the music sticks out to you. It's, it's, there's moments that are very quiet and mm-hmm. contemplative where you really could, it could be boring and the movie never feels like it, you know, it stops in its tracks at all because the music really does keep you invested in what's going on on it screen. It's really dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the end because mm. I think it does a really good job of leaving you feeling not sad, but not happy mm. and somewhere in between. It's like you're, you're appreciative of life <laughs> and where you're at, but you're also a little nostalgic. Like eating at a Taco Bell. Just like that. Marn, what's, uh, what's another movie that you think of as having a great score? Dunkirk. Ooh. That is really good. Yeah. It's a really good one. Yeah. I, I think that, that could also be that? Hans Zimmer, but he had two other composers to collaborate with a couple tracks mm. on that. Mm. He worked with Benjamin Walfish and Lauren Balf, who neither of which I don't know a lot about either one of yeah. them, but Hans Zimmer, the way I think about film scores, I kind of separated them into two categories. Like this score might aid more with storytelling and this one might be more about the audible experience mm-hmm. more than it is about like helping to drive the plot along. But what do you mean? Well, this is a different one, but think about tenant. Yeah. You can just watch that movie and be overwhelmed very easily. And I think that the music's part of that. Like it's very like stimulating in your face. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think not only does it overstimulate Oh my gosh, not only does it <laughs> overstimulate you, but I don't think any of the tracks really help focus in on any character's like inner conflict or mm-hmm. any specific plot points. I yeah. think it's a lot more about being like, this movie's kind of weird, so is the music. Yeah. I don't really remember much about the score from Dunkirk. What stands out to you? The track that stands out to me, it's on my study playlist, is the track Supermarine, which is just like, it's either, it's like eight or 13 minutes of just like... It's about eight minutes tension. long. Yeah, just the way he uses the strings to just 
unsettle you is just, I find that to be fantastic. And I just think, wow, that'd be so great to play that with an orchestra someday. Yeah. But there's another track, I think it's The Oil, where I just, I feel so uncomfortable listening to it, but like in the best way possible, because when you're seeing this like horrible thing happen in the theaters, you're just like, oh my gosh, could this possibly get any worse? Yeah. And I think it just really helps drive home the point of like, this was a terrible time in history that actually happened. I think to your point about it, like maybe not serving the story as much as being an experience, in a sense, it serves the story through that because Nolan has talked about, especially with Dunkirk, that like he almost shot the movie without a script because he wanted it to be very much like you're here, you're experiencing it. You're not really like, there's not a scene where they sit around a fire and are like, man, I got a girlfriend back home and like I got <laughs> kids back home. It's like, you don't know who these characters are. You're just going through it with them. And so having tracks in the score that are just like, not character themes, it's just like, what is the best sound to represent the emotion of being in this crazy situation right now? Yeah. And it's just like chaos and it's like, yeah, the, that that track Supermarine is the one that sticks out in my head because it's the one I've heard the most. Mm -hmm. But it is just like, I'm pretty sure that scene is when the pilot is trapped in the plane and it's starting to sink just a little slowly and he's having to get out of the cockpit. It's, it's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. There is, I think, one or two tracks that really are just a lot more sentimental than the rest of the score, and that's Variation 15 and Home. And that one is actually the work of Benjamin Walfish, and it's based on this piece by Edward Elgar, who is a famous British composer, but they actually slowed it down. So you can't really recognize it at first, but I went back and I listened to the original piece, and you can definitely hear it. And it's a very typical like British classical piece. Like it's very patriotic and just, you know, queen and country and that sort of thing. So I <laughs> Which think it's exactly what Dunkirk is. Yeah. So I think that was a really good choice to kind of expand on that and put it in the film. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, on the theme of Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Let's keep I love talking about Inception. Started the Started the I picked Inception. Uh, I was also teetering between that and Interstellar. That's mm. that's the but I think a, a theme between both of those movies is how Hans Zimmer uses the, uses time in his scores mm -hmm. for sure because uh, they're well both of those movies also deal with time and uh, in, in different ways but it's like characters are experiencing time differently and that's reflected in the score which is so neat and the way that Hans Zimmer does it. Uh, just really impressed me. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that jumps out to me with um, Interstellar is, it's kind of been made famous now, but the scene on Miller's planet when it's every hour here is seven years back on Earth, mm -hmm. there's like a ticking there <clears throat> and it was actually recorded. Now I'm forgetting if this is Interstellar or Dunkirk. I, th I think it's definitely Dunkirk where um, Hans Zimmer recorded an actual like pocket watch that Nolan had, but um, that was just Dunkirk. The, yeah, Dunkirk. Yeah, was it? If you can trust Wikipedia, then yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, um, but just cool things like people have gone in and been like the ticking on the clock. Or the, mm -hmm. If you like the ticking in that soundtrack, the way it's spaced out in the Interstellar scene is like every tick is like a week or whatever on mm -hmm. Earth. Just cool stuff like that. That the organ in that movie is like almost overwhelming. There's times where it's like the organ swelling and there's voiceover and it's just like 
but it, it's by far the most emotional. I think it's the most emotional Nolan movie, but definitely the most emotional score in a Nolan movie. Mm. Um, cause it can go really quiet or it can go really loud and full, but it's not the loud, it's not the bois of inception <laughs> or tenet, um, which tenet wasn't, um, Hans Zimmer as Ludwig Göransson, but Jorensen. Jorensen. Sorry, I always, I never know how to say it. But um, Jorgensen. Gorgnuns. It's okay. I was um, planning on calling him Göransson, and then I was like, I, I, sh- I should be sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, it's yeah, it's not. It's not like this is an epic movie. It's like this is a grand scale story. This is mm. spanning literally multiple galaxies because it's wormholes and stuff. So it just feels very. It feels like a symphony in some ways. Micah. Yes. What's uh, another movie that you love? Okay, this is this is so, I mean, I'm just very on brand today, but um, I'm choosing very like pop variant versions of this, right? <clears throat> this is not like a highfalutin thing at all, but um, did you ever see the movie Dan in real life? Yes. So, okay. It's not like my, a great movie to me. It's like, I think it's pretty good. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. So one of the things that I love about it is there's a, there's a, he's a Norwegian um, composer who's a a singer, songwriter, kind of folk artist named Sandre Lerke, who I've been a big fan of for a long time. And he went to set and would compose on the day with acoustic or or a piano that he would bring with him, like a a little portable stand-up piano. And he would compose pieces on the day to what's happening. So it's, I mean, it is a acoustic and humming driven soundtrack uh, or score rather that is built on the spot as he was watching the performances and he would write different things to different performances. So if they did the scene differently, he may write something totally different the next time that it, and it's, it to me is one of those where it feels very organic and natural, almost, almost weirdly in a way that like, I would say, um, some of uh, Wes Anderson's stuff kind of feels like very organic and in the moment. Um, it has a little bit of looseness to it that I, I really appreciate. And yeah, so Dan in real life, it's again, it's not like the best movie of all time, but I think Sandra Lerke's score is really interesting and it has this really like wistful nature to it that like you just feel for the character the whole time and it feels like a, this internal sound for him. It's it's pretty great. He's in the I, final I, shot too, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you said Dan in real life. I thought you were talking about Daniel isn't real. Oh, I've never seen that. different movie. No, I don't know that one. Yeah, Dan in real life is not that weird of a movie. It's pretty no. normal. That one's starring Steve Carell. Yeah. Mm-hmm, you're I correct. I would never expect No, think, it's, I don't remember the movie very well, but I would never think of that as a score. Do you know that composer? Because you made a Face when he I was just forward. excited because I'm like, oh my gosh, Sandra Lerke. I haven't thought about him in forever. Yeah. But my He's sister, <laughs> yeah, my sisters and I loved that movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's one of those where I like again, I, I think it's like a pretty good movie. It is a very like accessible indie yeah. comedy. It feels, but but I just think that was such an interesting call to be like, hey, we're gonna have this guy write some music, and instead of just going, yeah, he could just do that, knock it out in a weekend. He goes and spends time on the set most days they were shooting and was writing to the to the scenes, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. That is neat. Another kind of cool dynamic is um, I want to mention Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, mm. uh, specifically The Social Network, which oh, okay. a little biased. It's my favorite movie of all time. But that score, uh, again, I have a study playlist of film scores, and it's I have a lot of tracks from The Social Network on there because there are a few um, like scores that will help you study or like write <laughs> faster 
than hearing the social network themes. Um, it's just like a lot of very, it's very strange. A lot of their scores are, it's kind of the same with Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, just like a lot of like techno, like electronic sounds, beeps and like clicks and stuff like that. I heard somebody say that like, we probably wouldn't have the Into the Spider-Verse, like Into the Spiders probably wouldn't sound how it sounds without like some of the stuff they did on the social network. Mm. Um, and then they'll do this really weird rendition of In the Hall of the Mountain King during uh, people like in a rowboat race. And it's just this really strange, it, it's really kind of strange the first time you listen to it, but um, the more I've listened to it, I've kind of gotten addicted to it. Um, and that that score and the tenant score, just like I can be, I can have a a fifteen hundred word paper due in an hour, but if I press play, <laughs> I will write the whole thing in like twenty minutes. Um, can, can you be addicted to music? That yeah, drives, that drives me insane when you do that. Of course, okay. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but I think Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, from what I remember watching Social Network behind the scenes. I'm pretty sure that one of them, which who's which is the one that's in Nine Inch Nails, uh, Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor. So Trent Reznor, I'm pretty sure will just like go off in a room, and just record for like an hour straight of him playing stuff on guitar, just doing stuff, coming up with stuff, and then the way he describes it is like once he just gets frustrated enough, he'll stop it and hand it off to Atticus Ross, and he'll just like edit it and like <laughs> uh, finick with it and stuff. Finnick? Is that a word? No. Finnick is a name. I, that's yeah. a Star Wars name. Really? I've been watching that's too much not, Boba Fett. I don't think that's He'll Star Wars. I think fidget that's... With it. it is Star Wars. There's a Finnick character. Finnick, Finnick? is the, the... But Finnick oh. is also in the Hunger Games. Yeah, I guess I didn't know that because I don't like John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Finnick uh, is also a type of fox. Just saying. Yes. Um, just going to cover all the but bases. But as a verb. And maybe a plant. <laughs> maybe. But as a verb, yeah. I don't think it's a thing. What was the word I was looking for? Fidget. Uh, fidget. Or finagle. He'll fiddle with it. Finagle is a word. You know fiddles because violins. He fiddles with it and then comes out with, with the social network theme. I just had to mention the social network. Sorry. Speaking of fiddles. Go with it. Fiddle it on the roof. <laughs> you got a fiddle one? <laughs> yeah, I do have a fiddle one. Um, so it, have you ever seen Cold Mountain? Uh-uh. No. Cold Mountain is a really it's it was another attempt to kind of be like here's our big like Oscar film it's going to be like two and a half hours long and is that Nicole Kidman it's Nicole Kidman and Jude Law Renee Zellweger uh, Jack White's in it but that's actually like one of the things I really liked about it's Gabriel uh, Red Yared uh, did the soundtrack for it score I keep saying soundtrack um, score and uh, and then Jack White actually made contributions on about five songs but it's really interesting because it is it is very much meant to be like a traditional folk, um, like mountain folk music for the whole soundtrack. And it's really interesting. Like it's, it's pretty cool. And then they do some kind of takes on, on old traditional folk pieces and then, and then some brand new, you know, things that kind of fit that style. It's, it's pretty awesome. And it feels really good for that. It's like a, basically a movie about yearning. And so it's like these like really kind of like slow moving pieces with a lot of like, uh, fiddle. Yeah, interesting. It's really There's great. There's a yeah. So yearning reminds me of "Call Me by Your Name" because mm. that whole movie it, it plays a lot on the theme of desire, and the score there does, does a really good job of bringing that out. Too. Mm. Um, Michael, I want to mention just quickly a score that I'm pretty sure you'll be uh, with me on. That is the Annihilation score by Ben mm. Salisbury. Oh man, 
<laughs> I have choice. never, Mar, you probably, you haven't seen this movie, have you? Annihilation? No, I haven't. It's wacky, man. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a, a video that I put on Twitter, which is just me listening to the Alien song yeah. and kind of reacting to it because it, 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 it's it unreal. stands on its own. There's mm-hmm. a track called The Alien. Um, and without getting into spoilers, there is a moment in the movie where the main character encounters something and this track plays. And I've never had uh, like an audiovisual experience quite like that where like I wasn't really sure what I was looking at. Like I'd never seen something like that put on a screen because it was so like, it was definitely a physical thing, but it was also super abstract and like you couldn't really wrap your head around what you were looking at. But then I'd never heard any sounds, any, like anything that sounded remotely like that. Mm. And it that is just like the perfect encapsulation of being able to transport a viewer through every means of filmmaking. Um, and that that track in particular, The Alien, is just unbelievable to listen to. I'd recommend anybody to listen to it, but specifically, if you can watch the movie, watch the movie and have that visual with it because it's insane. And there that's Ben Salisbury, I'm pretty sure. That sounds right. The um, A movie that... that I think kind of feels similar to that, but is also very different. Uh, 2001, A Space mm, Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. So that one, I mean, the score uses a lot of classical music, but there are some audio elements <laughs> which um, just are otherworldly. Yeah. And, and that's think, a good way to describe it. I think that that's the that's the the thing that stands out in in both of those movies is is when the score takes you out of the world that you know and are comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, I've got an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> this one's also sort of a, a joke. Uh, no, no country <laughs> yeah, for old I men. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> so when you got into the bathroom and said, don't look at my list, I looked at your list and said, this has got to be a joke because No Country for Old Men doesn't have any music in it. I think there is a little I bit of I don't think music. there is. Oh, I think there is a little bit of music. Like at one point, there's a radio that's on screen mm-hmm. and it, the radio is playing music and right. that's the only music. Uh, otherwise, it's just yeah, like real no life. When, when you walk around, there's nobody playing music yeah. behind you. Most of the time, unless you're Marin. <laughs> when you're walking around the CFA at Bellhaven. Oh, that's true. You hear a lot of crazy stuff walking but you around the building. Play? No. <laughs> the <laughs> Center for Fine Arts. Oh my oh, goodness. Okay. I thought the same thing when I first started going there. But, Anyway, continue. It'd be cooler if you did. Yeah, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. Continue. Um, what? So you put it on there as a joke, or do you actually? It have- is a little bit of a joke, but also the first time that I watched that movie, it took mm-hmm. me all the way to the end to realize. Oh, there like, was no music. There in was there. no music. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even think about that. Uh, the thing that I remember catching the first time was that none of the three main characters ever appear on screen at the same time, hmm. and yeah. that kind of freaked me out. And then. Yeah, f- whenever I, I watched it again and realized like there's no music, is it? And is it I the sound design? I, I paid attention to. Is it in the there. hotel when he hears the music? When you do hear the music, like the hotel scene. That sounds right. Mm. I can't think of another time. When I can't remember. Music. Yeah, I think it, I think it was maybe like the bellhop listening to the music or something. Yeah. So the only other thing I could think of potentially would be like the gas station. Yeah. You know, the call it scene. You know. Mm. Call, call it. it. Dude, let's go. <laughs> I was trying to think. I can't remember if it's Ty Sheridan or Taylor Sheridan did like Hell or High Water. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, 
Gosh, Sicario. Wind River, yeah. yeah. Like he plays a lot with um. I mean, I know he doesn't do his own scores, but like a, a director does have some call, obviously, in that. And um, called it. Good. And and he plays a lot with like quiet in the film. I mean, I he uses music, you know, way less sparingly than that. But but um, but it like plays a lot with quiet moments where it just you feel like the sound of the world around the characters mm, more yeah. and it's it's pretty great. Yeah, there's a lot of like wind in mm. Adventure for Old Men that's a lot oh, yeah. of the score and like mm. hearing it on the windmill and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm really, now that we did the call it thing, I'm really trying not to do that. <laughs> Anton Sugar. Step out of the car, please, sir. <laughs> Lauren. Yes? What's another movie? Okay, this one, I feel bad because there is, <laughs> there is original music, but there also isn't. So... Fantastic Mr. Fox mm. is my favorite Wes Anderson film. Same. And it's, yeah, it's really good. It's fantastic. Nice. Hey. <laughs> um, so composer Alexandra Desplat did the original songs for that. And if you listen to just those and you, you know, you kind of ignore the Rolling Stones or you know the Beach Boys, it just perfectly captures the mood of the movie. It's whimsical and playful, but it's also kind of, I guess you could consider it a dark comedy in some ways because mm. I was watching it with my friend the other day and she was like, oh my gosh, like you watched <laughs> this as a child? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> kind of explains the things the more I think about it. Um, but Alexandre Despot, he also did Greta Gerwig's Little Women and he did another movie, which I really love called The Painted Veil. And I don't think it's terribly well known. It came out in 2006 and it didn't really do that well at the box office, but I think he won a Golden Globe for his work on that movie. And in contrast to other composers I really like who definitely have that style, mm -hmm. I hear a lot of contrast mm -hmm. in Alexandre Desplat's music and I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love the soundtrack though. Or I keep saying soundtrack. And it's score is what the word I'm trying to use. So just forgive me, anyone. But like the score to Little Women is is really great, and that's another one where it it plays with the concept of time as they age, you know. And and so I think the Painted Veil. I have to check that out. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I just wrote that one down myself. Uh, I love having guests on these episodes because yeah. <laughs> I usually walk away with uh, with a, a few new movies on my watch list. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember the first time I watched Little Women, I was. It was the first time that I'd ever made a trip to a big city where I didn't know anybody. Mm. It was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, I was texting somebody who, who was back here and at home. And they kind of made fun of me. They were like, you're <laughs> going to go see a movie in a city? Like, you could have just done that here. It's like, yeah, but I want to find my people. Yeah. And I ended up, <laughs> like, making friends. And, and, like, the first thing that really impressed me about that movie was the score. Mm. Yeah. There's that one scene, Dance on the Porch, mm. which is the name of the track, it's, that's the one that really kind of drew me in like that specific scene, not just because, you know, it's done really well and it's just a lot of fun to watch, but because that particular track, it starts out like a piece from the 1800s, I think. And then mm. the longer it goes on, you can kind of tell it's not quite from that time period. And you can kind of see more of his personal style as a composer coming on. It's really fun to listen to. I have another movie with a score that really impressed me, mm -hmm. Midsummer. Um, Ari Aster's Midsummer. Have you seen it, Micah? 
No. You're talking to three people who have not seen it. Three people who have not seen it. I can't imagine you've seen it. No. Okay. No way. Well, um, okay. So I'll try to talk about it in a way that's not super spoilery. So you know how there's the summer? This is like the middle of that. Yeah. And there's an A instead of an E. Yeah. That's what's so cool about it. It's Midsommar. So the uh, Ari Asher does call it Midsommar. Okay. But I've also heard him say Midsummer. Yeah. So I, I, I also alternate between them. Yeah. But. The score in that movie, um, you, you can see some of the the same influence or I guess control over the score in Hereditary, mm-hmm. um, but in Midsommar, Ari Asher uses the score to make you feel conflicted about what you're seeing, mm-hmm. and like, I, I don't really want to talk about the end quite yet, um, but especially at the beginning. There's uh, these strings that come in and they they just tell you immediately like something bad is about to happen <laughs> and I am nervous uh, and unsettled. I remember share, sharing that movie with somebody and the moment that those strings kicked in, he was like, I don't like this. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, that's a movie I still haven't been able to brave. I do know <laughs> most of the spoilers in it, which I think has kind of deterred me, but also I'm just like, I just don't know that I'm in a rush to just be disturbed for well, a day. So you you and I had had a conversation about it, I think by text at one point, and you told me, I asked you, when can I ask you to, yeah. to watch it again? <laughs> and, and you told me two years. So I, I set that date in my calendar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I'll be 21 by then, so maybe I can handle it. <laughs> maybe. Um, I do want to, before we wrap up, I do want to just like quickly rattle off a few that I'm not going to talk about in depth, just because I think like, I never hear anybody talking about these, and I think they need to be talked about. Uh, I want to shout out. Um, oh, another! I didn't even realize it's Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer, uh, Last Samurai is incredible. Mm. Uh, I think Nathan Johnson for Knives Out is fantastic. Yeah. Um, Justin Hurwitz for not Fall Land, but um, First Man. That theme, Quarantine, is incredible. Played on the theremin, mm. which is just incredible. Um, that's a space instrument if I ever heard it. Yeah, 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 yeah. for real. Uh, Randy Newman's score for Marriage Story. Michael Giacchino's score for Super 8. That just blew my mind a little bit. Randy Newman, like the actual Randy Newman did Marriage Story? I'm, I'm looking at a name and it says Randy Newman. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned a thing. Who's okay. Randy Newman? Yeah, You got a friend. That's Randy don't Newman. Don't like this, that oh, guy. Yeah, uh, like, it's probably a different Randy Newman. I'd be surprised I, if it's the same. You know what? It could be. Maybe that guy's got crazy range. Maybe he does. He, he did the have multiple song. interests. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of sad, sad films about force. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I'll also shout out uh, Michael Abels, who did the score for us, which I thought should have probably won the Oscar that year, possibly. Um, Danny Bensey and Sounder Jurians. That's definitely not right, but for Enemy. <laughs> uh, Mike Patton for... Um, the Place Beyond the Pines, specifically the song The Snow Angel, and then Mark Corvin for The Lighthouse, which mm. The Lighthouse, I think that score is just like perfectly sets the atmosphere for that movie. It really does. I love that score. Man, the two trailers for that movie oh, were also so so perfectly scored. I remember watching them on repeat. I was so excited. Not nearly enough sea shanties, though. There should have been a lot more sea shanties. Mm, I, I actually might agree with you on that. <laughs> and I don't like sea shanties. Um, I wanted to talk about a ghost story just oh. because I think the the music in that is is um, 
it's sparingly used. Like there's not as much music as you would think in an hour and a half movie. Uh, but when the, the music is there, it is very much telling you like, you should be feeling like this. <laughs> yeah. I, I've not been as good as you, Maren, as knowing who or uh, <laughs> you know who the composers are, but I do know that that one was Daniel Hart. Mm. Uh, I think he's got a pretty good working relationship with David Lowry, who good director, very good director. He's directing Wendy and Peter Pan, by the way. Really? Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, curious to see what that's like. Probably very different from The Green Knight. <laughs> no, it's exactly the same. Yeah, that'd be shot insane. for shot, but with Peter Pan. All right. Well. Uh, Marin, Micah, any closing thoughts, any shout outs you need to give? Sam really needs to watch Jane Eyre. <laughs> but other than that, That's I'm really awesome. glad I did this. It's been a lot of fun. Excellent. I'd, I'd like to give a shout out. So I, I worked with a, a friend of mine, Kami Roebuck, on this series that she did called The 12 Sacred Moons, where it was a different short film, different genre of short film for every single month of a year. Uh, COVID kind of shot it around, so we had to had to move around a little bit, but I got to do uh, the score for 11 of the 12 um, and and got challenged to do a very different style of music for every single one of them. And it was, it was really, really interesting. And I'm really happy with the way those turned out. So you can watch those on YouTube, 12 Sacred Moons. Very nice. Awesome. And you're, I mean, is uh, it is cool to announce, but your band is playing Jackson Fest. Yeah, yeah. In May, we'll be playing Jackson Fest. Uh, this is the first inaugural one, which I usually get annoyed by, but they have plans to keep this going for a very long time. And it's a, it's a big, big, um, you know, weekend-long festival, and there's going to be camping and stuff, and it's located in Jackson. It's, it's a good It'd be pretty awesome, yeah. yeah. Well, Sam, any final thoughts? I don't have any final thoughts. Thanks to the guests. This was a thank you guys. Some awesome guests. Isn't there another film on YouTube? Maybe people should watch. <laughs> oh snap! Uh, yeah, it's yeah. There's a, a short film I made with my friend Jake, who may end up on this season of the the podcast at some point. It's called Wolf. Um, if you want to go check it out, it is just type in Wolf short film. It should get you there. The channel is Escape the Wolf, which is kind of what we're calling our production company, whatever whatever we're doing right now. The, um, the, you two together, you're going to call yourselves Escape the Wolf? Yeah. I like that. I, uh, Sam showed me this short film, actually, before we watched another movie. Yeah. Uh, it was on you his, saw it on his phone. You saw it before it came out, bro. You guys, you and Marn both saw it before yeah. it came out. We, we watched it on his phone in my truck. So yeah. I, we, we did plug uh, the, the phone into the sound system just so that I could hear it well. And I, I remember commenting that the sound design was really cool. That was the first yeah. thing you said when it finished. Yeah. Sam like flippantly told me like off the cuff, he's like, oh yeah, I did the music for a film. And I, I was just like, are you kidding me? I need to hear it now. And he was like, well, no, it's not done yet. And then I remembered and it's, he's like, well, it's been out for like two months. Yeah, or like three months <laughs> went by and you're like, hey, whatever happened to that? And I was like, oh yeah, it's, yeah. it's done. <laughs> but I watched it and I had no idea what to expect, but I was not disappointed. And I think it's really cool that someone with little like musical training was able to do that. Yeah. Very good. Good yeah. job, Sam. I will say that good. the um, the artist's original vision of it is to be watched on a phone in a yeah. truck. So if you can, <laughs> I'm just like Nolan. Oh yeah, if you can watch it on a phone, then you're doing it right. Or at the very <laughs> least, Zack Snyder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for coming tonight, uh, and thank you, listeners, for and uh, hopefully enjoying this episode. Thanks, podcasters. Signing off. Bye.